Warning, the following content may contain elements that are not suitable for some audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello, kitties. This is y'all's Julie John Kassir, the voice of the Crypt Keeper. And you're listening to Slasher Radio. <laughs> Welcome to Slasher Radio. That was disgusting. Yeah, you are disgusting. Welcome. Hi, everybody. Thank you for coming back and joining us. Uh, Mikey Bones here. Corner Pocket and... (laughs) Really? You want to say hi? (laughs) Dismay. He's not even going to say my name. Dismay. April, how are you? How, How are you, April? Thank you, Miranda. I'm doing great. This is the first Slasher Radio episode where April has audacity. Thank God. It's like pulling teeth. <laughs> this guy wouldn't shut up about it. But, uh, yeah, thank you for coming back. Thank you for joining us. Are we excited about this fucking week? Holy shit. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Holy shit. Ooh, ooh. Big week coming up. This is some episode, you guys. This is the meat and the potatoes. Um, as we told you last week, as we've been talking about on Twitter... We got John K. Sear for you. Uh, big thank you to Dismay. Pulling some strings for that one. I have to say, thank you, Dismay. You're welcome. But, um, yeah, so uh, let's get to the shout-outs before we get to anything else. Slasher Pod promo code on Shutter. I'll get you 30 free days. So go check that out. Um, horrormoviesandstuff.com. PromoteHorror.com. 12NightsHorror.com. You can go to Lem Jones and find out everything you need. To know about this this shiznit we call horror. And um, you can pick up the Blood Raid magazine. Smashwords.com. Amazon. That came out last month. So it's still, uh, still kind of new. It's going to be out there forever. Get it before the next month's one. Yeah, which should be soon. So hurry it up. Yeah, and they, they're, they're a magazine that's just starting back up. So yeah, definitely show them some support. You can get a, a hard copy sent to you. Uh, you can get digital copy. You just want to look through it on your computer. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. I, I think. Uh, I don't think. Oh, we, we're just coming off of our uh, our pinhead streaming party. Yes, we are. That was fun. Uh, if you're not on our Discord, you got to get on it. The links on pretty much all our shit. We had a we streamed the 1987, I believe, the original yep. uh, Hellraiser. Film and yep, yep. we were all on Discord. We had a good group of people. My first time watching the movie. I believe somebody else was there. Their first time watching the movie. It was nice. We had some drinks. We had some times. We made fun of a lot of things. We made fun of Mikey Bones a lot. That wasn't nice. <laughs> that was my favorite part. <laughs> you see what I'm talking about? You see what I'm talking about? <laughs> like I didn't come for the movie. I just came just, just to make fun that. of Mikey Bones. We did. You know they yes. shot Hellraiser on location in his house. I was the dude eating everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we had a lot of fun. We gotta we gotta pick another movie because that was fun. So I would um, love to keep doing this once a month or however often we do it. This was it was fun. Yeah, yeah. So maybe yeah, maybe like once a month we'll we'll pick a movie. Or if you guys want enough, you want to pick one. 
We can throw it on there. Yeah, and let us know what movie you want to do. It's fun, man. You know, we just sit, we chill, we joke, and we watch the movie. So just kick it with the genre. So yeah. I want to say thank you to everybody on there following the Twitter. Dude, real fast. Liking the Twitter, retweeting the Twitter, yelling at Mikey Bones on the Twitter. Yeah, keep keep that coming. All, the, all that hate mail, please, just keep it coming. I love it. At Mikey's Dead on Twitter. That's my favorite part of Twitter. Dismay, like, are you here to just shit on my life? Yes. I, I will keep Dismay here every episode just to shit on you if I have to. Why? Amazing. Because it's great. He might not come back. Yeah, I'm, just gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna myself one episode. Which is better for all of us, I think. <laughs> wow. I, I don't even know what to say to that. You know what? You're, you're past a slap sound effect. You're past that. I'm gonna have to start hitting you a little harder. Thunderbolt, baby. Thunderbolt. That's a good one. Yeah, I like it. Pull, pull that one out more. <clears throat> Holy. Um, ooh, ooh. Yeah, we have John K. Sear this week. He's going to be joining us shortly. We're really excited for that. I mean, everybody's a Crypt Keeper fan. Right or wrong? Right. Right. Right! Who was going to say wrong to that question? Everybody's right. <laughs> yeah, so... You're really getting in the sound effects today. Wow. Because you don't like them, that's why. <laughs> I think he does. I like some of them. I definitely don't love them. Disappointing. You're disappointing. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. So, um, yeah, we have John K. Sear. Hi, how you doing, John? Because you're Hello. putting it. Hi, how you doing? Good. <laughs> nice to meet you, John. I'm April. <laughs> Hi, April. Uh, I'm sorry. If you were somebody talking to Mike and um, who else? Another Mike. Another. Uh, there's two Mikes here. <laughs> April, Mike, Mike. Yes. <laughs> yes. Is it working the way you need it to? Perfectly. We we were trying like scrambling, saying, "Okay, well, what can we do?" And because uh, everything nowadays, you get some type of technical issue and. No. We're like, oh, you know, see if, if he wants to do this. And it's like, wait a minute. We just asked for his phone number. That's not good. <laughs> we were just, like, trying to figure out anything. Well, I have a you know, I have a private number that I can, you know, send, you know, that doesn't show my my number. You know, my number. Yeah. And I can call people and they can add people on and that kind of thing. So, you know, if I'm on, uh, I mean, now there, nowadays you can even start 67 your cell phone and people can't see, you know, blocks the caller ID when you call. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's not a big deal in the past. It's, you know, it just used to give it out or, um, you know, give out, uh, emails and that turned into a disaster. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. <laughs> you know, it's just people get, you know, it's like people go, Oh my God, listen to his voicemail. It's the crit keeper, you know, <laughs> people hanging up and I'm like, I have no idea who that just was. <laughs> And how they got my number. You had your voicemail set as the Crypt Keeper voice? Yeah, I turned that off. I got rid of that. <laughs> I used to change it weekly to something fun. You know, I used to have, like, you know, Cheech and Chong stealing my phone machine. You know what I mean? I used to do a bunch of different fun stuff just for the hell of it. But, um, you know, it, uh, it. I got so many, you know, uh, I, I don't know if it was friends or people that just happened on my, you know, uh, it could have been my doctor's office for all I know. I don't know. <laughs> Hanging up. But, um, you know, they, <laughs> it's, it comes with the territory. It's, uh, it's something, uh, you know, I, I should be so lucky that people want to hear my voice all the time. But there you go. 
Um, so how are you guys doing? What, what, is, uh, what uh, uh, do you guys have set up? Um, I know a little bit about your uh, your background, April, with uh, you know having worked for uh, uh, some of the other um, I like to call them scare journalists. But um, what do you guys have set up for yourselves? Um, well, April kind of recently like hopped on in a kind of way. So Mike and I, well, we we call them corner pockets. So if you hear that term, it's a long story <laughs> nickname. So, <laughs> um, but we started <laughs> we started a podcast. You know, we we listened to so many, and it's like, you know, why not do your own? Because we enjoy it. So we just kind of review movies and goof around, kind of thing. And you know, we've had some pretty cool people on in the past, and. You know, it's just, we just love sitting and talking about pretty much ev- everything in the genre for the most part, but we try and base it on films and television shows and all that stuff. So, that, yeah, that's kind of what we do. Yeah, right. I'm a um, film major myself. I go to a um, pretty full-time college student myself. So, basically everything, this is a passion project for me. I'm sitting in my the middle of my living room, computer spread out, microphone out, everything, and this is every week for me. <laughs> Good deal. Good deal. That's how you do it these days. You know, believe it or not, that's how I, you know, record a lot of my auditions, you know. Um, every once in a while I have to do them from my car or, you know, from a hotel room if I'm out of town. And I got, you know, I'm sitting there wondering what somebody in the next hotel room at three o'clock in the morning is hearing when I'm sitting, you know, uh, doing, um, you know, delete, 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 you know, uh, <laughs> Or something like that on the other line in there, you know. Um, but that's how it works out. You know, that's the, the uh, wonder of technology and the curse of it, too. Um, you know, there's a certain part of it that I miss uh, going and seeing some of my peers at the auditions and, and uh, you know, showing up in the uh, in uh, you know the studio and having the director there to actually work with you and stuff to give you an idea of what they want. But, uh, you know, it's what it is. The new, it's the new way to do it. It is, and it's it's a nice thing to have around because I mean, if, if we had Plan A, B, C, and D here today, so you know, thank God for all those options. Right. And you're you're in California now, or where where are you today? I am in California. You know, I've lived in California since the mid '80s. I, you know, I'm from Baltimore originally, and and then uh, beginning of my career, um, early mid '80s, I was in New York. I've gone back and worked in Manhattan, you know, in a theater at Lincoln Center, you know, off-Broadway and and, uh, a number of different, you know, theater situations. And, of course, I do some of the conventions around, uh, which is fun to do. I'll be in uh, Buffalo at Nickel City Con next week. So that's really cool. Ah. Excited about that. And what, what are you doing there? Uh, you know, it's a uh, convention, so I'll sign autographs for fans, and we have a, uh, a screening of Demon Night when, uh, Thursday night uh, with, a Q, with a Q&A, which will be a lot of fun. That's, that's sold out, it's so, uh, uh, which is great. Um, and then the convention, I'll be there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, I think I have a Q&A on Saturday, but other than that, it's, and there's some obviously some photo ops and that kind of thing, but mostly... Uh, you know, they set me up in a booth there, and, you know, they fly me in and put me up, and, you know, we, uh, you know, uh, offer, uh, you know, autographs and meet and greets to the, all the fans, which is a lot of fun. You know, again, I feel fortunate to have that. I mean, I've been doing this for, let's see, 1980. I went full on just supporting myself as an actor right out of college, so it's 38 years. 
38 years I've been supporting myself as an actor, and, you know, there's so many projects that I've done that you guys are probably too young to even remember. Um, I did, you know, most of my work was on camera up until, you know, mid-late 90s, uh, at what point you get to a certain age and there's just less work for you. So, again, and the voiceover work became so busy that I didn't, um, you know, I didn't even have as much opportunity to do things you know, theater or movies or television, but I still do do it whenever it's offered to me. I just, you know, I just enjoy playing a bunch of characters I don't get to play much on camera, you know. Uh, you know, I mean, they're not going to let me play Deadpool on camera, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I, guess I get to play them in the game, so that's cool, you know. And, uh, you know, uh, obviously I'm, I'm not typed out as, a, as an actor with voiceover, um, you know, age, race, you know, physicality, or either, even whether I'm human or not, that's, uh, that's cool, you know, it's really a great, uh, opportunity for me to, you know, work for Disney doing all the, you know, Peach Dragon, or Miko and Pocahontas, or, you know, playing superheroes, or, you know, thugs, or the kind of stuff I don't get to play on cameras nearly as much. And at all of your projects, and you know, I did. I, to be honest, I didn't realize how, how extensive it was. But um, you know, you do all kinds of different uh, work in different genres, and um, so that's really, I'm really honored to have you on the show. And um, well, thanks. Appreciate that. You know, I started out thinking that I would be a theater actor, and I quickly found out that that doesn't pay very much. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I still enjoy it. My wife and I are both theater actors. Uh, my, my wife is uh, Vanessa Waters, who's a, you know, a theater actor here in Los Angeles. And, um, you know, and the two of us uh, met doing theater, actually. Um, and we both love theater, love going to the theater. Uh, she's started directing recently, so she's even directing theater. And and we love love that, but it's you can't make a... It's, really difficult to make a living out of it at it you know i mean i started to make a living at it in new york um i got in a show uh i was i actually was making more money street performing in front of the metropolitan museum than i was making in the theater wow. um and so then of course i got uh, landed the part in an off-broadway musical um playing a uh, stand-up comic street performer um uh and the show was called Three Guys Naked from the Waist Down. Uh <laughs> which was <laughs> it was a musical about three stand up comics. Uh Naked from the Waist Down is kind of like a, a term for what it feels like in front of the audience when you're bombing. And uh it was written by Jerry Colker who um you know went on to write for television and that kind of thing, but uh, and had a Broadway show called Mail and the music was written by Tony Award winner, um, uh, Michael Rupert. And, uh, it starred myself along with Scott Bakula, who you all know, mm-hmm. uh, from his work on everything from Quantum Leap to, you know, NCIS, uh, New Orleans. And, and Jerry played the other comic and we played three comics who individually weren't, didn't have a lot of success and, um, together were, were gold and wound up, you know, in the television industry and think, the show was kind of like watching Dream Girls, um, but with stand-up comics. So it was, you know, it was three stand-up comics, but it was just the three of us. We also played all the agents and the managers and the, you know, the the reporters and the talk show hosts and all that stuff in the second act when we when we you know when our careers take off. 
Um, you know, and it talks about the, you know, the trappings of, you know, Hollywood and the whole thing. So it was a lot of fun, but it launched another career for me. Um, as I was doing the show, I was seen in the first season of Star Search. Uh, this was 1985, um, and they saw me, uh, performing in the show and asked me to be on Star Search. And I was like, what is a singer? I was like, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, uh, I said, I certainly, you know, can sing, but, you know, Sam Harris was on the show at the time. I said, I go, but I can't compete with the, the likes of Sam Harris, you know, as a singer. They're like, no, we want you to be on as a stand-up comic. And I said, seriously, you want me? I, I go, you know, I'm not really a stand-up comic. It's the part I'm playing in the show. They go, yeah, but you can win $100,000. I'm like, fuck, I'll do it. <laughs> I was like, Have you seen my act? I'm, uh, I'll be working on it tomorrow. <laughs> so... You know, I got my ass in the clubs and started, uh, you know, working up some of the material that I had. I had been with sketch comedy groups, you know, for years and, uh, you know, took some of my old bits and, and honed them and some of the material that I had, you know, lent to the show, uh, that I was doing. Um, you know, I'd do like the Wizard of Oz in two and a half minutes and stuff like that on the show and I kept winning and eventually got into the semifinals and beat Rosie O'Donnell in the semifinals, who was unknown at the time other than from Star Search and, and Sinbad, who had been winning on the show, and I beat him in the finals. And the next thing I know, they're like, okay, you're, uh, you're going to be opening for Tom Jones in Vegas, and we're going to put you on the TNT tour with the Temptations and the Four Tops, and you're going to open for, you know, I wound up opening for Rodney Dangerfield in his club and, and Richard Belzer and uh, uh, Bobby Vinton and Lou Rawls and all these big acts. And, I, and, you know, when they first asked me to do it, I was like, how am I going to open for these guys? They got no fucking act, you know, other than the material I wrote for the show. So again, I got myself into the club and, and you know, put together my tight 20 minutes as an opening act and, and then launched a big TV career from there. And, and of course, because I did so many characters and stuff in my act, people started asking me for uh, to be on their shows, uh, you know, on doing voiceover. The I was, my first, series that stayed on the air was uh first and ten which you guys are a little young to remember but it was hbo's first series and it was about a football team and um it was delta burke's first series you know she played the owner like uh owner of the team she'd gotten the the team in a in a divorce settlement she called caught her husband uh you know sleeping with the tight end and uh wow. <laughs> pun intended <laughs> and um and, you know, starred, uh, O.J. Simpson, uh, played the general manager on the show. You know, it was like a, it was like a real thrill for me to like work with the, you know, like the, you know, the, obviously this was before, uh, you know, O.J.'s fall from grace. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was a big deal to be working with, you know, the likes of O.J. And of course he brought in, uh, you know, all kinds of, every week they had big football stars on the show. And I played, uh, you know, they had Chris Maloney play, started his career there as a quarterback and Jason Begay, you know, who's on, uh, you know, Chicago, uh, um, is it like Chicago Cop or Chicago PD? I can't remember what the, the titles of all those shows are now. Um, but, uh, you know, great actor and all these different people came on and, uh, starred on the show. And I played the Bulgarian field goal kicker, and I could kick 60-yard field goals. And it was a very funny character. They wrote, 
because yeah, they had a lot of football players they used to write a lot of scenes for me you know um that they wouldn't have normally written for that kind of character uh you know because they had to carry a lot of the uh, comedy on the show and uh don gibb who you know from revenge of the nerds you know Boger, mm-hmm. was on the show and um uh you know just some really great great people and that show lasted six seven years i think we were on that show and uh you know H- hbo contacted my agents and said well, you know we need somebody who can do voices and who can be funny and also be a good actor and you know we're doing this tales from the crypt series and i'm like holy crap tales from the crypt i was like that i love those comic books as a kid i was so into them you know um i can't believe they're going to make a series out of that and, uh, you know, the next thing you know, I'm getting the opportunity to, uh, to go audition in Kevin Yeager's studio where, you know, who is, you know, at this point had made Chucky and, and made, um, you know, created Freddy Krueger's makeup and, you know, did all these, you know, one of the best creature makers in the business. And I got to go down and, you know, like a kid in a candy store and see all the great stuff he was working on in his studio, including the Crypt Keeper started doing the voice for him he was just like oh this is awesome this is you know he was laughing and you know shaking his head yeah and the next thing next day he had me doing it for joel silver and dick donner in their office and uh you know they offered me the part on the spot and uh you know wound up doing uh was it seven years on uh tales from the crypt um you know and of course that was easy to work around my schedule with that they'd just work around my schedule and, and record when whenever uh, they need me to come into the studio. And so I continue to do a lot of other television and that kind of stuff in the meantime, sitcoms and other series over the years. But, uh, you know, lucky me. I mean, I worked hard for to get there, but, you know, the first six years of my career, I pretty much made no money. <laughs> like I said, really, I was big... I was making most of my money, you know, street performing. <laughs> well, they call it paying you dues, I guess, right? Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, it's, you just, you know, at that point when you're doing that, you just see, it feels so far away from you making a living at what you want to do. wasn't a very good student as a kid, as dyslexic, and they didn't really know what that was when I was a kid. So they just, you know, they thought that I was uh, just lazy and disruptive, you know, but really it was more that I couldn't really put together the the information in a way that I could uh, could digest it very easily. And uh, But, uh, you know, once I found a way to communicate, uh, you know, I had teachers that were like, oh, he's really good in front of the class. I'll put him up in front of the class. He can do his work that way or he can, you know, do poetry in front of for the class out loud and get involved in the plays and that kind of thing. I found my talent. But, you know, as you know, having talent isn't all it has to do with. It's it's uh you know, getting out there and making sure that people see your talent and give you the opportunity to work and earning, you know, the kind of people that actually will help you get work, you know. Agents, managers. So up to the it's so up to the actor now, you know, it's uh with social media and, you know, the grassroots campaign of putting your career together and giving yourself a in quotes brand and all that kind of thing even for somebody like me who's well established you know it's it's all about it still continues to be about having making sure that you know you're more popular than the next person um you know marketing and corporate people have taken over a business and that's what they understand you know that's what they sell that's what they fill their networks with uh you know, people that will bring their own audience, and uh, not an easy thing to do. 
You know, it's, uh, you know, also, it doesn't necessarily bring the best quality to what you see. Very true. You know, Tales from the Crypt wasn't something that made a lot of sense to anybody when we made, when they made it. Um, because, uh, you know, the horror genre, you know, traditionally was not something that people would tune into on a regular basis. And HBO took a chance with it, um, and the producers put a lot of their own money into it. And William Gaines, you know, of course, who was the uh, creator of the, uh, his family, uh, you know, he had uh, inherited DC Comics from his dad and, and uh, you know, changed the face of it from educational comics to, you know, Tales from the Crypt and, and then eventually Mad Magazine and all these great comic books. Um, you know, I was really pleased the way they brought it to life on the screen, um, but it certainly wasn't a... Uh, other than some of the ancillary things in movies and that kind of thing, it wasn't really a way for them to make a lot of money. Uh, and these are very big producers used to making a lot of money on their projects. So um, trying to get it back on the air nowadays has to do with, uh, you know, whether somebody's willing to take the financial risk and, and also getting the rights back from uh, William Gaines, you know, deceased now. And, uh, you know, they want the the rights back for, uh, it would be great to get from the uh, Gaines family. And hopefully, you know, they'll think of it as an, not only an annuity, but also a, um, a legacy that they're trying to keep alive. So you want to give it to the guys who do the best job with it. And that's the guys that I worked with. So, Hey, who knows? Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe in my lifetime, I'll get to scream again. <laughs> or should I say, in my after lifetime? <laughs> that just gave me the chills. Seriously. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> that was awesome. But um, oh, you kind of walked us right into it, and we obviously had planned to mention there have been a couple of um, reboot attempts. Uh, 2011 with Gilbert, and um, I think he tam- teamed with uh, Andrew Cosby. And then M. Night Shyamalan just a few years ago. And all of them were without the Crypt Keeper character involved is what was rumored. And, you know, kind of right from there, you kind of tune out and go, ah, I don't really care then. But it's, I would imagine that was more of a, a rights issue, like you had mentioned, where it's difficult for them to obtain that character, which really, really sucks when you get all that legality. Well, they have a... They have- Obviously, they have the rights to the to the Crypt Keeper. Crypt Keeper is part of the comic book. So, if the you know the comic book folks, the Gaines family, license them Tales from the Crypt, they can create their own version of the Crypt Keeper and the Old Witch and the Vault Keeper and any other characters that came with Tales from the Crypt and the stories as well. But the actual puppet and the version of the Crypt Keeper that was created for the series that I worked on. Um, the HBO version that was licensed, you know, by Joel Silver and Dick Donner and Walter Hill and Bob Zemeckis and David Geiler, you know, some of the biggest guys in the business. Um, you know, that's their version of the Crypt Keeper. They can't really use him as the Crypt Keeper without owning the rights to Tales from the Crypt. But at the same time, they can't, you know, they own that version, that puppet. So, you know, they can't somebody else without licensing the puppet directly from them wouldn't be able to use that version of the Crypt Keeper. And, you know, I'm part of that Crypt Keeper. So, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of like not, you know, I don't know. They could they could go say, okay, we're going to get a Crypt Keeper and put Steve Buscemi in a, in a shroud. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they could do... They could do that version. I, I You know, I keep suggesting that version, but I don't know. That <laughs> well, I don't think so. <laughs> it's kind of 
kind of a whiny crypt keeper, but you know, I love Steve Buscemi. First of all, the, you know, I'm not making fun of Steve Buscemi. I think he's 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 an awesome actor. Um, but uh, you know, it's I think that with the you know crypt keeper and tales from the crypt is a, a huge franchise that's in our lifetime is is bigger than people knew it would become. Mm-hmm. You know, it was again early. HBO, not everybody had HBO or access to HBO. And so people would like, you know, go to friends' houses that had it and have, H- you know, Tales from the Crypt parties and stuff. And of course, we didn't, the show was made for adults, didn't, had no idea kids were watching it. And now, <laughs> now of course, um, I mean, I didn't even do conventions for years because I didn't think that there was uh, a diehard audience for it, but found out that these kids that grew up with it, um, you know, like yourselves, were passionate about it. It was part, not only, you know, their love of horror, and you know, it's kind of it was kind of like their gateway drug to horror, but also it's nostalgia for them. It was part of their growing up, and um, you know, the, probably the first thing that scared them. Um, you know, for me, I used to love the Alfred Hitchcock presents and all the universal horror monster movies when they'd come on. Of course, you couldn't just go and find them on, you know, on demand. You had to wait till they, you know, look through the TV guide and see if it was playing that week, you know, um, on some network. Um, so it was kind of cool that people had the opportunity to watch something over and over again that they wanted to watch. And uh, these kids, you know, now there's a bigger fan base for it now than, than there was when it was originally on the air. So, um, you know, and of course that's opportunity for me to go get back to those fans that have kept it alive all these years and uh, continue to, to hope for it. And, you know, frankly, it's, it's a franchise that's, that's people love, and it's probably the biggest ripped-off franchise there is. I mean, I see merchandising every day out there that I'm sure is not licensed through, <laughs> through you know, the people who own the comic book. I see, you know, T-shirts and hoodies and hats and posters and, you know, some a lot of it was licensed through the, the people who owned the licensing at the time. And now because nobody really is licensed it that actually has the setup to police that and to make sure it goes through them and to do a good job marketing it, um, like our guys were, uh, you know, people just go and do whatever they want with it. So, you know, hopefully somebody will get the reins on that and, and uh, take it over. In the meantime, I've, I, you know, I just try to give back to the fans and, um, do the best I can in terms of uh, um, them showing appreciation for the work I do. You know, obviously, I you know I make a living whether I do the Crypt Keeper or not. I never really made a lot of money doing the Crypt Keeper. You know, it's, he was, you know, it's a it was a labor of love for all of us because it was an expensive show to do. All the money went into the budget, so um, you know, it was, it was never going to get rich off the Crypt Keeper. But at the same time. You know, I appreciate that what it did in terms of helping uh, define me as a as a voice actor and as an actor who you know who could uh, create you know diehard characters. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's how that's how that's how you build a you know long time career. After winning Star Search, I probably could have exploited that and made myself more of a household name kind of actor. But who knows how long that lasts? 
you know, because if you make yourself a household name, if you're, you know, as soon as you lose your popularity, you're kind of like, oh yeah, he was around for a little while. There's no real connection. No, it's not, it's not only that there's no real connection, it's that your, you know, your career is based on your popularity. Mm-hmm. Always, you know, and I, I prefer to try to continue, and it wasn't only prefer, it was just, it was more the way that, uh, actor who can do so many different things gets a chance to do all those things is by continually getting a reputation for, you know, having developed your talent to be able to do and deliver in all these different situations. So I've been really lucky in, 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 um, in being able to have a 38 year, at this point, 38 year career and fly under the radar for the most part, you know, which is great. You know, I certainly have a fan base and certainly have people that love my work and I appreciate it, but I can also, you know, act like a normal person to them. I don't, um, you know, back in the day when I used to do improv with people like Robin Williams and that kind of thing, we couldn't go to the ball game together to get mobbed, you know, um, I can pretty much go anywhere I want and not, uh, even get, appro- get approached, uh, most of the time. I mean, other than, you know, if I go to a convention of certainly most of, you know, there's a, most of the people who know what I look like and especially social media these days, people know what you look like. They know it or they know, you know, they've researched your other work and they go, oh, I remember that guy. He was in that show and, you know, and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, that's kind of a, that's kind of a, uh, a luxury too in this business to be able to, to balance it that way. And you had mentioned, uh, so many different facets i mean we we would have to have like a four-hour podcast to go over all the characters you've done and to be able to (laughs) be able to go from you know the crypt keeper to like buster bunny from tiny to like your range is beyond impressive like how do you kind of conjure for each character like what do you have a process like what do you do you know, you do, it's just like any other acting role. You take the you take the information that's given to you. Um, you know, like I mean, I had the luxury of going down to Kevin Yeager's studio for the Crypt Keeper. Saw so what he looked like and created the textures of his voice based on what he physically looked like. And you know, knowing knowing how the copy was presented. Um, you know, I could see other actors in the room going, "Oh my God, these puns are terrible!" But they didn't get it. You know, having read the comic books as a kid, this character was enjoyed what he was saying. This was Shakespeare to him. You know, he was doing the alliteration and the puns. You know, specifically to entertain his audience with and entertain himself, seeing how clever he could be. And so I, you know, I found myself laughing at my own jokes and puns when I was doing them uh, for Kevin, and he was laughing too. And he, he'd laugh, and it would make me laugh more. And eventually, it turned into a cackle, a cackle. And you know, and that's you know that stuck right at the audition. You know, I was as I was doing it for him, and you know, he goes like, "Yeah, go in and do that." You know, for for Joel and you know. Dick tomorrow, and that's what I did. And um, you know, the rest of it. Sometimes they give you artwork to look at, so you know what the character looks like. Sometimes it's just a, you know, um, okay, well, this guy is a robot, and he's, uh, you know, he's physically big, but he does sounds like a normal guy. He doesn't sound like an electronic robot, but he's, you know, he's cultured. But yeah, I mean, they give you these kind of information. A lot of it doesn't all scan together. So ultimately, you just take a shot in the dark with it. Um, earlier, I was saying it's one of the things I miss about going in and being directed because, 
you know, you'll get a bunch of auditions during the week that you record at home and you send back to your agents to, to, that they submit for you to a lot of people, a lot of people that know your work, you know, some people that don't know your work and, um, they listen and they're getting a lot of these different versions from all these different people that they know can deliver some of them they don't know that they can deliver and they wind up hiring them and they find out pretty soon that they're, you know, when they show up in the studio, they they can't direct them to get what they want and that kind of thing. So there's a double-edged sword in terms of having all your auditions done from home and they can get a lot more submissions, but also they don't have the luxury of having you in the room to go, oh, you're almost there. Can you make this adjustment? And you do that for them and they go, that's what I want, you know? So... I miss that. I miss the, you know, when I get the jobs and I go in and I love working with the directors because they can give you like a one word clue of how to change what you're doing. And, you know, you're, you're talking shorthand between you and them as you're recording. And it's kind of like almost, you know, like doing improv together. Um, it's a lot of fun. I've been working on the, um, uh, some new tiny tune, uh, not tiny tunes, uh, um, Looney tunes. For Warner Brothers, and um, we had a great time working on that show. Um, it's a great group of guys, and every week there was somebody fun and new in there, um, you know, working and doing uh, all the traditional Warner Brothers characters. And I was doing Pete Puma, which is just one of the funniest characters that was ever created by Warner Brothers. But I mean, if you go back and look, he's probably was like in two, three you know, Looney Tune episodes. He was maybe the stupidest Warner Brothers character they ever created, too. He's like, I know you! You know, he's always trying to eat Bugs Bunny, and Bugs Bunny would be like, hey, you want some sugar with that? Sure! How many lumps? Oh, three or four! Bam, 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 bam! <laughs> you know, hit him on the head. Um, <laughs> you know, had his stupid laugh. But uh, he almost sounded like uh, Tommy Chong from Cheech and Chong, you know. Um... <laughs> And uh, so we'd, uh, you know, have fun doing that. It's like the, all of us in the room together doing these characters together and having fun. It's, you know, a really good time. And when you're, when you have that kind of support and, you know, you're bringing that to it, to each other, it, it makes you step up and do your best work because it's almost like doing it in front of an audience, which a lot of us are used to, some of us not so much. But the ones that came from myself doing theater and stand up and that kind of thing, we, we, you know, part of the inspiration and muse for each moment that you, you know, come up with some of your best stuff is in front of people because they're feeding you that, you know, trying to get the laugh. And the Crypt Keeper certainly was that kind of character. You know, he's trying to get the laugh, whether it's his own laugh or somebody else. You know, so there's each one is taken on just like any other acting role. You take the information they gave you and the script that they give you, and you do the best to try to give them something that you, they can breathe life into, whether it's something that they originally wanted or something that even better than what they wanted, and they go with it because of that. You know, it's not an easy process to do because a lot of it is is your own imagine bringing your own imagination to it. There's you know, you show up on a film set to shoot on camera and it's like the set's there, the props are there, the costumes are there, the other actors are there and all these different things to breathe life into the moment that you don't have to do. You know, right now we're in the midst of trying to negotiate our new contract for uh, for voiceover uh, for all the streaming. You know, every time they change the media and the way that they bring you cartoons, 
all of us have to go back. Uh, you know, that includes on-camera stuff too, the way they bring you on-camera stuff and everything. They have to go and renegotiate with these big studios and stuff to, to get paid and to get work hours and to get, you know, insurance and all that stuff. So we actually can treat this as a career. Otherwise, we can't afford to work in this business because as it becomes bigger and bigger corporations, of course, they don't want to, they want to pay as little as possible and make as much money as possible. You know, everybody wants to do that in their business. At the same time, if you don't protect the people who are making the money for you and at least give them what's fair or at least give them what they negotiated in the past for other situations, then you're not going, you know, you're, you're going to lose all these people that are the people that are making you money with making all this content and delivering when they show up. So, you know, right now we're in the middle of trying to, you know, get that that done. We're in the middle of trying to uh, make sure that all these streaming shows and shows that show up on Netflix and Amazon and, you know, all, all other kinds of things, we're able to at least get the, not only the salaries, but the, you know, the residuals and the, you know, the things that make sure we get our health insurance and all those things possible for us. Um, and, and these guys deserve it. I mean, I, it's amazing. I'll, I'll go on and see some guy who's, you know, played, you know, Batman or something in one of the games and he's got more followers than any big star, you know, on screen. I'm just going, wow, that's incredible. Great, you know. I mean, voiceover actors, have, you know, in some way, ways have become like you know rock stars in the business to people who love it, you know. Um, and we're appreciative of it for sure. It's nobody expected that we, you know, we didn't expect to be front and center with that kind of work. We we hope that our characters become front and center. You know, if you look at my IMDb, you'll go, oh, I know that character. I know that character. I know that character, and they're they're more famous than I am. Which is great. That means I've done my job. That means I've done a good job at helping to create a character that lasts, that people remember. Um, you know, there's so many actors, you know, that over the years, even people on camera or have been on big shows, and once they disappear, they're gone, and people are like, wow, what happened? You know, if they hear their name, they're like, I remember that guy? What happened to him? You know, but here there's these characters we're creating every week that people go, ah, oh, wow, I grew up with that character. He's a great character. I love that character. You know, every once in a while I still like go on TV and I try to find that character, you know, or, you know, I've got that ta- that character tattooed on my arm. <laughs> <laughs> I see more Crypt Keeper tattoos than I've ever seen of any, you know, it's amazing. You know, obviously there are people with, you know, Freddy tattoos and Chucky tattoos or a full sleeve of all the horror icons. And, you know, the Crypt Keeper is right in there with any one of them. And it's it's fun for me. I mean, I never, you know, I get to be under your skin, kitties. But uh, when people started coming up to me and asking me to sign them and so they could have my signature tattooed, I was like, at first I was like, wow. <laughs> Well, because as soon as you see the Crypt Keeper, you automatically think of his voice, you know, and uh, that's right. what makes it so interesting. It's amazing. Yeah, you know, it's it's fun. I mean, it makes sense that all these people grew up with it, because if I was walking by the TV set as a kid and I saw some creepy puppet, I would certainly want to watch it every week. And so, uh, you know, I'm proud to be part of it. It's You know, I'm I'm proud that I'm, you know, considered, you know, a major part of the legacy of that show. And, you know, I mean, at this point, I'm the only one promoting it because I'm the only one that's, you know, that, 
people can have access to that's still around as part of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously I can, you know, the Crypt Keeper was the pitch man for the show and as well as the host. So, um, it was always a lot of fun for me to do all these other things, whether he was doing Bud Light commercials or, you know, you heard his voice all over Not Scary Farms or, you know, any of this stuff, you know, it was really, really fun to, you know, not only uh, great to have that as a job, but also it was great fun to, you know, to be considered part of Halloween. My birthday's, you know, six days before Halloween and, and five days before Halloween, uh, seven days before Halloween, the 24th. Um, and, uh, you know, I've always loved Halloween, so it's like to be even associated with Halloween is kind of a cool thing, too. Yeah, I was wondering how you got started, like, with Into Horror. Um, did that come when you were younger? Well, I loved it as a kid, you know, especially more the, um, um, more the, uh, you know, Universal Horror Monster movies. And, I mean, I liked the sci-fi horror, too, whether it was Mothra or Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, and that kind of <laughs> thing was big when I was a kid. You know, because these were, these were, you know, during the times when, you know, there was threat of, uh, you know, n- nuclear bombs and that kind of thing. And it's, if you look at horror, it kind of, it kind of apes what society is going through at different times. Whether it's, you know, a foreign country that's causing, you know, people to look at monsters as something creepy or whether it's, you know, women's rights and, you know, the woman being the one who's the only one that survives in the end, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, you know, and this kind of thing, you know, horror is always, is kind of a really cool way for you to see what was going on at different parts of society. Now, you know, we've, thought about the, you know, the dehumanization of our society and, you know, people, you know, stuck with their cell phones and staring at their cell phones and walking aimlessly down the road. And what's the biggest show on TV? Walking Dead. Um, So it's got, it's kind of, you know, it kind of makes sense that zombies are are what's popular. I mean, you know, there was Night of the Living Dead and that kind of thing were kind of cool when we were kids, but you know, certainly zombies weren't the most colorful of horror movies, you know. They weren't, uh, you know, there was there was other monsters that were much cooler, you know. And, uh, so it's, pretty, it's, pretty, it's a pretty cool genre to be associated with. The other thing I like about it is it's one of the few, you know, movie genres that still uses a lot of practical effects, which is really cool. You know, um, certainly CGI is creeping in. Uh, pun intended, yeah. uh, to, uh, you know, the horror genre and that kind of thing. But at the same time, it's still great that there are actors who can walk backwards on their hands and feet and they use them in these movies and they put, you know, like Linda, like what they did with Linda Blair with these, you know, really cool makeup and, you know, vocal effects and, you know, um, it, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of fun to go in and, and go, okay, uh, we need you to come in and do a, in the, uh, last exorcist, they had me come in and, and do a baby crying who's thrown in, you know, who's a demon baby thrown into the fire and then screaming and turning into like a huge monster, you know, okay, go. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> you know, and it's like, it's like fun that, you know, it's 
treated that way. There's nothing electronic about it. There's nothing, you know, it's just them showing a bunch of people throwing a, some cheap doll that they made up with makeup to look really cool and throw it into a fire. And the rest is all this vocal effect that brings it to life and makes your skin crawl. Mm-hmm. So it's a cool, it's a cool genre to be associated with, you know, um, loved it as a kid. I wouldn't have called myself like, you know, a true horror fan that, you know, exists today, but, um, you know, it's, I don't like every genre of, uh, horror the way that some people do. There's some that I like a lot more than others. Like I wouldn't call, you know, I love slasher films, but I wouldn't, I, you know, I won't race to the movies to go see a, a slasher film. But, you know, there are other, you know, movies, uh, you know, especially the thrillers, or I always loved the, you know, the, um, you know, the religiously fucked up ones, <laughs> you know, like whether it was Rosemary's Baby or, um, you know, Exorcist or um, The Omen and these kind of things, because those are just like, I mean, they seemed to be something that, you know, when you're in a room alone, your imagination can take you to that was, you know really creepy you know something that really you know infects you in a way that's you know part of the mystical of life and death you know the exorcist still stands today like there was a the other day in my uh, screenwriting class however many kids said they haven't seen the exorcist my professor almost just you know abandoned the plan and put it on (laughs) right so many of those old films like of course you know, there's so many genres, but so many of the old films, like today, even, you know, you can just name it and people will still say, oh, don't talk about it. That's too scary. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I get the same reaction from people. I mean, it's really funny to see somebody walk up to me and start shaking and sweating and, you know, and going, oh, my God. And their friends pushing them forward, like, just go say hi to them. You know, I was like, well, was it me? I mean, it was me, but it wasn't only me. You know, I was like, you know, people, and then there were other people that were like, oh, my, we we used to tease my little sister. She, we we said the Crypt Keeper was her boyfriend because she carried the doll around everywhere. (laughs) And, you know, I mean, you know, it was the kid like dealing with the, that it was at first they were scared of it. But then, you know, when they face that fear that it's like they're attracted to it, you know, Um, and that's, you know, part of life, you know, so it. Oh, for sure. There are things that are visceral in that sense of, you know, what, you know, where our darkest nightmares go and, you know, what, what we're afraid of in life is, you know, depicted. That's the, that's the power of film, filmmaking to begin with. Um, you know, you can change people's ideas about things and you can change their, you know, um, the way that they viscerally react to things by the way that they're presented in film. And that's good and bad, you know, I mean, the good things and the bad things. Um, but certainly, you know, uh, horror has that, uh, is, is become hugely popular for that reason. And it's the fact that they can make horror films on a budget that they can make a lot of them. And, um, and you know, it's, some of them are formulaic. You know, obviously the cream comes to the crop to the top. I mean, I loved the Scream movies because they made fun horror movies, but at the same time they made them scary. It was really good, you know. And they had good actors in them, you know, and they all still work today, you know. Um, so it's kind of cool. That was kind of how um, I fell in love with the Crypt Creeper. Also, by the way, since you had brought up scaring the shit out of people, like my parents would use you as a way to get me to listen because that when that, oh my god i hear that all the time yeah when that laugh <laughs> came on and my parents were watching and i heard it i bolted to my room no matter what i stopped what i was doing 
And then once I got, you know, like a year or two older, I was like, like sit and actually watch it when they're watching. I'm like, oh my God, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, we had no idea kids were watching the show, but some people would be like, okay, you can watch the Crypt Keeper, but then you have to go to bed, you know, because of the nudity and the, and the you know, the each episode, I mean, one episode could be really hardcore. The other one could be almost funny, you know, but, um, you know, people will come to me and go, yeah, my, you know, my parents wouldn't let me watch it, but I, I was with my grandma on the weekends and we watched together, you know, or, um, you know, my parents knew that I loved it and they wouldn't let me watch it if I didn't do my homework. And then, you know, my parents knew I was afraid of it. They'd make me watch it if I didn't do my homework. <laughs> I hear this stuff all the time and, um, it's, it's pretty incredible. I, I love it. It's, you, we had no idea that that was, you know, the effect because, you know, we just assumed that people were doing the right thing, not let their kids watch the show. But boy, were we wrong. We were wrong. My mother always joked around, like, I should record that laugh. I, I could just bring it with me whenever he's not listening, wherever we're at. It's like, it worked. And That's funny. I think you kind of helped, you know, with the humor you added and the way you added it. It's like, it's almost like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on on the screen uh, from blood and murdering to sex and nudity and but it's like it's almost like you tied it together with a little bit of of that that comedic relief that made it okay. Yeah, well, the comic books were designed that way, and the show was certainly designed that way. The Crypt Keeper was, you know, there to let you know that this was supposed to be fun. Mm -hmm. That you're, you know, that you're coming in with the attitude that this is going to be entertainment and entertainment, <laughs> and um, you know, so it was, you know, I mean, that's if you. If you pick up the uh the you know the DVDs and you pick up the first season there's a um behind the screams uh DVD that talks about you know the, the you know the psychological attitude about what you know what was really intended with the Tales from the Crypt comic books and why they were controversial back in the 50s and 60s uh cuz kids loved them and they weren't supposed to you know and the show the show wound up doing exactly the same thing um, because the Crib Keeper was fun and he, and he made you feel like you were going to have fun. And I think it's the difference between that and a lot of other anthology series is that the Crib Keeper ties it all together. You know, it, it has a face to it. It has, um, the show itself has a face to it, not just every episode individually. You know, um, I mean, if you watch something like uh, Black... Um, uh, was it uh, called a uh, black um, Black Mirror? You watch Black Mirror, and each episode is different, and that kind of thing. But and they're great, and it has obviously it's tied into how technology is, you know, become scary for us, you know, and that kind of thing. But it doesn't it, it doesn't have its own identity as a show. Each episode does, but it doesn't have its own identity the way the Twilight Zone did with you know with uh, Rod Serling or Tales from the Crypt. Um, you know, did with the with the Crypt Keeper, you know, or Alfred Hitchcock presents with Alfred Hitchcock presenting. You know, he loved puns. You know, he thought it was the highest form of of alliteration was was were puns. You know, um, and and that kind of thing. So he always brought, you know, I mean, certainly had Alfred Hitchcock in mind when I auditioned for the Crypt Keeper in terms of his attitude towards horror, and it happened to be the right one in terms of what they were thinking too, because. You know, each week, you know, he's, if you think of the, the episode as a, as a roller coaster ride, the Crypt Keeper is kind of like the ride to the top. 
before it drops you, you know. You can get on any given, you know, roller coaster and it might, one might make you scream at the top of your lungs and everyone's like, oh, that was a pretty good ride. But I can guarantee you the ride to the top and the anticipation and not knowing what it was going to feel like when you got dropped was, you know, that was always good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it always has the same kind of, you know, feeling to it. It's like, oh my God. Oh my God. Here we yeah. go. You know, the Crypt Keeper was that. You know, he's, he is that. And, um, in every episode. So, I mean, I can tell you a lot of people go, you know, I didn't like every episode, but I always loved the Crypt Keeper. He was always so good. And Kevin Yeager did an amazing job of directing those episodes, those, uh, sequences too, and the puppeteers. Forget it. They were just, you know, I mean, nobody has any idea how great they are at coordinating, you know, four or five guys to bring one puppet to life. Not easy to do. You know, I imagine if we were going to do the show again today, um, you know, they would probably try to do CGI or, you know, or um, motion capture. They'd put spots all over my face or something. But to me, that would be a mistake. I, I think the puppet, I think that was, uh, you know, had its own kind of creepiness of bringing something inanimate to life um, and making it believable. That would anger a lot of people if they did something like that, though. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, sometimes it's just a matter of what they they can afford to do. I mean, it's expensive to have five puppeteers <laughs> every show, and um, every time you need to do an interview with the Crypt Keeper, you got to bring five puppeteers wherever they are. You know, it's like it's not an it wasn't an easy thing for them to afford. You know, I I agree with you. I think it would be uh, ultimately you would want it to look as as good as as you could. I've had, I've had people that are that bought into it so well that they come up to me and they go, "Wow, how did you get into all that makeup?" Oh, anyway, it goes like. Well, first I had to lose about 120 pounds, um, and then uh, you know, then I had to turn my eyes like crystal blue, which I, I think you probably know the story by now about um, how Kevin Yeager used, uh, you know, had to originally they didn't give much budget, so he was using spare parts from his stu- from his studio, and um, he had put Chucky eyes in the Crypt Keeper. Mm-hmm. I don't know what other parts he may have used from Chucky as well, um, and. Uh, and he liked them so much, they stuck. You know, he kept with them. But those are Chucky eyes that the Crypt Keeper has. You know, baby blue eyes. And you know, you can see that in the first couple of episodes, first season or two, the mouth doesn't move very well. So the Crypt Keeper has to talk slower and more ominously. Um, you know, and then once the show got picked up and they gave him more money to put in more hobbyist motors, the little servos and that kind of stuff in the in the puppet, he could spend more money on, you know, perfecting him so that he worked much better. We could make him faster and funnier. Ah. I always thought that was just, you know, like evolution of character kind of thing where, you know, I, wow, that, that is super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it had to do with the technicality of it, you know? Wow. You don't think about yeah. it. And, and that's the, the magic of it where you don't think about it because you, it, it looks real. From the, you know, the moment you're watching it, you sucked in and there's really nothing major at all throwing it off to where okay the, the, this guy's talking to me right now right right in an interview with howard stern and he oh. was like um you know and howard if he didn't know you or you know something new or something he, he, he would actually early on he would always go he would always try to uh 
you know, go after you in a negative, you know, like to see if you could hold up. And of course, I was having him interview me as partially as the, as me and partially as the crypt keeper. I would go back and forth and, you know, I was making him laugh. He's like, you know, I, I love the crypt keepers. Like, I just, he could spit. And I was like, well, you know, he's just like you, Howard. He loves to be hated. And, you know, um, you know, and I, I said, you, you hate him probably because he's, because, He's, it's visceral and bringing him to life and you know it's freaking you out <laughs> on some level oh yeah <laughs> and he had to wind up admit, admitting to that you know so it was kind of cool i always said it's just that that power to bring something into reality it doesn't happen so that often to where like you said you have an entire team going to move a puppet and it's like, but but that's what it needs. That's what it takes because it's created that aura around itself. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but uh, you know, that's that's uh, that's how it all uh, that's how it all evolves. You know, I mean, it's it's uh, you know, it's the magic of movie making again. Practical effects. You know, it's all part of horror. It's all a big part of it. Well, listen, you guys, and thank you very much for, uh, for, you know, spending time with me. Um, you know, I'm going to be, uh, there at, uh, Nickel City, uh, con in, uh, Buffalo uh, next week. And then, uh, um, I'm scheduled to be a day of the dead in this year in, um, Indianapolis. Um, I'm going to be at the, uh, what's the, uh, there's a convention I'll be doing in, in, um, uh, Connecticut this year, Altered Reality, uh, Comic-Con, C-O-N-N, Comic-Con, and, uh, that's, uh, at Foxwoods, um, I'll be doing that, I think that's like June 30th or July 1st, that'll be really cool, Robert Englund and myself will be there, and there'll be a lot of other really cool people. You might have to go to that one. Yeah, that'll be really cool. Yeah, I post most of them on my Facebook page, you know, everything is... You know, it's, it's me, John Kassir, uh, J-O-H-N-K-A-S-S-I-R is my Facebook page. Sorry for all the people who want to become friends. They only, um, I have somebody currently trying to turn it into a fan page so that I can accept more people or just follow me in the meantime. And, uh, you'll, you'll get all the same information from me. And, uh, certainly if you write me notes, I, I try to answer as many of them as I can. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously they only let you have 5,000 friends and it's, it's, you know, the thing, Twitter is, is the same John Kassir, um, at Twitter and, uh, Instagram is also just my name. So, um, you know, follow me, tweet me, Instagram me. I love hearing from you guys and I love photos of i get so much great fan art from you know the crypt keeper and people send me pictures of their tattoos and you know what they're doing or you know whether they're going to come see me at a convention i love hearing from everybody so um please take the time to do it uh, you know if i can get if i have the time to get back to you i will um we're going to set up you know i get a lot of requests for signatures and that kind of stuff for people who can't make it to the conventions and i you know uh and I usually have them send it to my representation, but it's it gets piled up, and I, it's so hard to to sit down and and do all of it. I try to do as much of it as I can, and send it back. Um, but I think we're going to set up a website so that people can just um, request it and um, you know order stuff, and hopefully we'll add some really cool you know swag, some t-shirts, and, you know, and 
uh, hockey, I've had a lot of requests for the hockey jerseys that I wear to the conventions, Crypt Keeper uh, hockey jerseys, um, and that, that kind of thing. So I'm hoping to to get a bunch of that stuff on on a, on a website that um, you know that that's you know, John Cassier stuff that we can you know um, offer for fans. So uh, looking forward to it. Hello, kitties. This is yours ghoulie, John Cassier, the voice of the Crypt Keeper, and you're listening to Slasher Radio. <laughs> I think I have to change my pants. Oh my god. <laughs> that was fantastic. Thanks, guys. But Mr. Cassier, in all, in all honesty, I can't thank you enough for coming and taking your time and sitting down with us, but not only for that, everything you've done for the genre, I mean... It's I, I when we started this podcast, I had three people in mind. One of us is no longer with us. That would like make my life, and you were one of them. And I just I can't thank you enough. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Well, that warms me to the shackles of my heart. <laughs> Holy fucking shit! So, guys, tell tell me that wasn't the coolest thing you've ever sat and done. That was a trip, man. I have chills. I really, really have oh, chills. Oh, it's so good. I just want to thank John Cassier like every day of my life. Seriously, for that. That is, it really is a ball of information. Not only that, like so so much insight onto the build of because he has such a unique job. Really, yeah, voice acting is like the best invisible job you can have, and he really just should, like told it as it is. Seriously. Um, so yeah, that, 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 we can't thank him enough. Thank you very much, John. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed it. That, that's mm, important. We enjoyed too. it very much. I hope you guys did too, yeah. As if John Cassier was not enough. Hello. Hello. Do you want to play a game? We actually have a little horror game for you. Brought Ooh. that back. So anyone who's not familiar, usually it's a, uh, Multiple choice question on something to do with the horror genre. Um, we enjoy doing these every now and then. They're they're fun. Nice little change of pace. And uh, we figured we'd give you a, go for the gusto in this episode. Since it's a big one, we'll pull it all out. No pun intended. Wow, this is, we haven't had a game in a couple weeks now. It's been a while. I think this while. is Dismay's first over here. Yeah, we got Dismay versus Corner Pocket. Oh. I might um, actually lose... Probably. I've been, going on, a, I've been going on a winning streak when it's me and Owl, but we got we got dismay over here. Fangoria herself. I'm 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 shaking. Well, no, that puts pressure on me now. But uh, okay, all right, you guys ready for question number one? Yeah. Okay. Good part of these are going to yes. be based around uh, what was the tagline to this movie. So it's based around taglines. Okay. So question number one. The pits, uh, pits the dead against the living in a struggle for survival. Which movie does this tagline belong to? Corner Pocket. Uh, White Zombie, Night of the Living Dead. The White Zombie being 1932, by the way. Um, Night of the Living Dead, 1968. Evil Dead, Dead by Dawn, 1987. Or Dawn of the Dead in 1978. Oh, pits the dead against the living? 
I thought Evil Dead, and then I thought Night of the Living Dead, but then you threw in the other one, so I don't know if it was the first one, or a sequel, or a fuck. Yeah, starting out with a rough one. Can you say the whole thing again? Okay. Pits the dead against the living in a struggle for survival. White Zombie, 1932. Night of the Living Dead, 1968. Evil Dead 2, 1987. Dawn of the Dead, 1978. Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead. Okay, dismay. What you got? Yeah, I was gonna say Night of the Living okay, Dead. Okay, we got two. Two correct. It was Night of the Living Dead. I knew it. Once you said it was Evil Dead 2, I was like, no, it's not Evil Dead 2. No way. Okay, next question. The tagline for the original Halloween, 1978, was... The trick was to stay alive. Have you checked the children? Don't answer the door... The scariest night of the year. Dismay. Which one was it? It was that first one. That first one. Very, very informative. The trick is to stay alive. <laughs> Corner pocket. Which one was it? The trick is to stay alive. The trick to stay alive, yeah. Okay, so we are tied still. Two piece. Ah. Two piece. Um, okay, now question number three. Houses do not have memories. House of Wax, 1953. The Haunting, 1963. Amityville Horror, 1979. Poltergeist, 1982. Corner Pocket. Tell me something. Amityville. Amityville Horror, 1979. Okay, dismay. I was going to go with Amityville. <laughs> Alright, so we're still tied up at three. Oh, oh, correct. That was a guess. The answer is the Amityville Horror, 1979. One of my favorites. Oh my god. <coughs> Jesus. When are we driving past that house, Mink? It's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah, we gotta hit it up and maybe. You gotta do that soon. Piss on Summer's the lawn coming. or something. Oh, you, um, you could piss on that lawn. I will uh, ghost ride I'll, that car down the block. You gotta I'll run. pull it out. The fuck around, boy. I'll leave you on the Amityville lawn if you're pissing. Hey, man, we could we could um, we could tweet the um, you know the article in the paper where it says uh, Caucasian male arrested for pissing on legendary home. Oh, oh yeah, I'll, I'll write that article. <laughs> There you go. Alright, question four. Tagline for The Shining, 1980, was Oh Danny Boy. He came as the caretaker, but this hotel had its own guardians who'd be up there a long time. And here's Johnny. Which one? Dismay. Oh, man. Um... Oh, and another question on it was, was uh, all work and no play makes Jack a maniac. What were the answers again? Son of a bitch. <laughs> just All work, just no play, makes Jack a maniac. Oh, Danny boy. He came as a caretaker, but the hotel had its own guardians, who'd been there a long time. And here's Johnny. Um, damn. And I love The Shining, too. Um. Ah, uh, so all the, uh, the bolts yeah. are on the line here. <laughs> Um, I'm just gonna say here's Johnny. Here's Johnny. Okay, corner Pacioto. I, I have a strong feeling about that he came as the caretaker. Okay, and corner pocket takes the lead. Ah, it is the four one. Corner oh pocket. Oh my god, I've lead. seen the shining. Four, I'm so sorry, many four three. Times. Stupid. Corner pocket in the lead. Uh, okay. Question number five. The tagline for Rosemary's Baby, 1968, was. Pray for Rosemary's Baby, 
he has his father's eyes. The devil will have his due. Or she wanted a baby, she got something else. More pop. Which one is it? I really like that last one. That last one? It came for baby, she got something else. She got something else, dear boy. She got something else. Okay, dismay. Uh, pray for... Yeah, that's it. Oh, what? It's the, it's the last one. Same no, it's not, motherfucker. You're both wrong. Oh! It was pray for Rosemary's baby. Oh, they, they did really hype up the, the religious aspect of the movie. I keep forgetting. Question number six. The ultimate experience in grueling terror. This one goes to Don't Look Now, The Exorcist. Don't Look Now, 1973. The Exorcist, 1973 also. Uh, Psycho, 1960. Or The Evil Dead, 1981. Dismay. Man, I need the, I need the answers again. <laughs> you unattentive fuck. <laughs> Don't Look Now, 1973. The Exorcist, 1973. Psycho, 1960. The Evil Dead, 1981. You pain in the ass. Um, the Exorcist? Okay, okay. Corner pocket, what are you going with? Can you say the quote again? You son of a bitch. <laughs> I know the answers. I know the, the answers. ultimate experience in grueling terror. Oh, that's Evil Dead. Okay, Evil Dead. Correct. Correct, Evil Dead. Quarter pocket is up five to three. Question seven. The tagline for The Wicker Man, 1973, was a country setting for the devil's children to play. Flesh to touch, flesh to burn. Don't keep the wicker man waiting. There's evil where you least expect it, or beware of the bees. More pockets. You're gonna roast me on this, but I haven't seen the wicker man. I haven't either. I'm not a huge fan. I of haven't either. Oh, thank God. All right, good. I mean, not good for the movie, but good for the fact that I don't know what I'm <laughs> talking about here. Um. There's evil where you least expect it. I'm spitballing. Okay, dismay. Um, what are Are you are you for real? <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit! Great, <sighs> this is so good. A country setting for the devil's children to play. Like what the fuck? Flesh to touch, flesh to burn. <laughs> Don't keep the wicker man waiting. There's evil where you least expect it, or beware of the bees. They'll keep the wicker man waiting. Both wrong. Flesh Whoa. to touch, flesh to burn. Oh, oh wait a minute. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That is the right one. Holy shit. Oh, oh God, I'm stupid. Don't, don't, yeah, the, yeah, don't keep are. the wicker man waiting. Thank you very much. Excuse I was going to guess that, but I was like, no, it's not going to have the name of the movie in the title. Sure did, boy. Goes, goes to show. Goes to show. Okay. Question eight. Who will survive and what will be left for them? What movie is this for? Saw 2, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Driller Killer, Maniac. I am asking dismay. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, I, dude, I just fucking read them, for real? Well, because I get started thinking about one and then miss the others. Oh, my God. Don't think until I'm it. done. Saw 2, 2005, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which Leprechaun is better than 1974. Wow. The Driller Killer, 1979. Maniac, 1980. And the tagline was what? 
You missed everything. Wow. <laughs> this is amazing, because I got my answer locked and loaded. Who will survive? And what will be left of them? Oh, Texas Chainsaw. Order pocket. Texas Chainsaw. Correct. Order pocket of six correct. and dismay who doesn't listen five. Why would you put Texas Chainsaw in here and it not be correct? You hate Texas. Uh, yeah, that's, I, I, that I was definitely could have. Could have. Yeah. could be in here again. You don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't see Leprechaun in here. You, you, I'm not done yet. Oh god, <laughs> I, I just refuse to answer that. Man question. is the warmest place to hide, said Pornhub. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, the thing 1982. <laughs> they lived 1988. The Fly 1952 or Slither. 19 uh, Ah, uh, it's either the thing or Slither. The, 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 the thing. The thing. The thing. <sighs> Dismay. Do I have to repeat them again? Yes. <laughs> the thing, 1982. I'm just, I'm, just jo- I'm just joking. Oh, God. <laughs> thing. Okay, you're both tied up. You're annoying. 76. Okay, thank you. That's the score. I was <sighs> like, what's the score? The tagline for The Ring, 2000. Uh, there's no escape when death comes calling. One curse, one cure, one week to find it. Before you die, you hear a ring. Before you die, you see the ring. Dismay. I just read them. It's not happening again. <laughs> um, <clears throat> before you die, you see the ring? Okay, we're in pocket. That's the one that I was going to say, too. Okay, we're still tied up. Eight to, eight to seven. See, I'm going to turn my webcam on and you can see your ring. <clears throat> right. Are you going to show me your butthole? <laughs> yes, I do. Go ahead. I'm waiting. We're not moving forward now. <laughs> I got to see if, if, it's, if it's centered here. I'm afraid. There we go. Is this for you? You fucking... <laughs> That's not a butthole. I know a butthole. That's not a butthole. That's not a butthole. Kyle looks like a butthole. Okay. Question number 11. Everything you've heard is true. The Last Exorcism, 2010, VHS, 2012, Blair Witch, 1999, Urban Legend, 1998, Corner Pocket. Blair Witch. Okay, I'm, I'm afraid to ask. I'm afraid to ask. <laughs> what Dismay. The Last Exorcism. Uh, Blair Witch. Okay, you're both correct. Dismay is annoying the shit out of me. Um, <laughs> that's the correct answer. The Blair Witch. Okay. Something went wrong in the lab today. Very wrong. Splice, 2009. Hollow Man, 2000. Mm. Frankenstein, 1931. The Fly, 1986. Dismay. I'm gonna say Splice. I don't know. Okay. Alright, corner pocket. Yeah, I don't know this one either. I'm gonna say The Fly. Okay, the fly is correct. Um, Damn eight to uh, what is it? Eight to eight to six. six. Eight, eight to, to seven. Six. Eight to six. Okay. Miranda's killing it. I'm not good with taglines. I didn't think I was going to be good at taglines neither, but I'm, I'm steamrolling this motherfucker. I'm going. Dismay isn't good at much. <laughs> wow. Hey. I'm sorry. Wow. Uh, the tagline for Paranormal Activity 2007 was uh, the Tide of Terror. That swept America is here. Don't go home. Don't go alone. Based on a true story, 
If this one doesn't scare you, you're already dead. Quarter pocket. I'm just gonna go simple with based on a true story. Okay. Dismay. Um, Tide of Terror. Tide of Terror. Okay. Both of them. Was it Don't Go Alone? <laughs> it was Don't Go Alone. God damn it. They were telling it. Was, they were building up the, uh, oh, the whole yeah, they were thinking The thing. whole get it in your movie theater. Come see it in yeah. your theater for... Oh, fuck. You're right. We did this in the episode. We did. We did. Oh. Uh, done fucked it up. I love paranormal activity. Forgive me. <laughs> uh, there's only a few more left. Dismay, you're, uh, you're in disarray. Dismay's in disarray. Yeah. Yep. I like that. I'm not a tag oh, on person, that's for sure. Ah, oh, that's great. Still can't believe my alarm went off. I'm, I'm still scared for you. Uh, this one, we're gonna turn a little bit towards, like, movies. A little bit towards movies, like, just, uh... These have all been movies, what the fuck? Well, I mean, you know, this we were focusing on taglines. This is more of, like, plot of the movie, you know, things oh, okay. more have to do okay. with the insides. <laughs> oh, whoa. Uh, in which wrong turn film? Are the oh, victims? You you know, wrong turn is the shit. So past like three, it's like what the fuck. Which uh, wrong turn? Which wrong turn film victims are part of a game show? Uh, wrong turn five, wrong turn two, wrong turn four, wrong turn three, to wrong turn one. Dismay. Oh man, I gotta be honest. I've never seen the wrong turn films. Wow. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna go with uh, lucky number four. That's an interesting number. Okay, corner pocket. What were they? Just basically one all of them. Five. I want to say five. Hey, both wrong. It was wrong turn two. I love wrong oh, turn. Oh, was it two? They went right to game show. Yeah, man. They fucking switched. What? It up. That's yeah, weird. Man. Wrong turn was the shit. <laughs> um, okay, so the next one we're gonna use is okay. Quarantine is a remake of which horror film? Blair Witch Project, Funny Games, or Record? Quarter Pockets. What, wait, one second. What did you say? Quarantine was a remake? Yes. Which horror of, film? It was Wreck, and it wasn't Record. Well, it's stand, standard for Wreck. Okay, it was it was stylized as R-E-C. But it so stands for it Record. I, I've never heard anybody actually call it Record. I've only ever heard of it as Wreck. Well, I have, and that was gonna be the yeah. Really? Kids who they had a record, kids who had to hit the record button on their fucking VHS. No, VCR, I know that it stands they... for record. I know that, but whenever I've heard like somebody tell you to watch the movie, I've only ever heard it as wreck. It's it built really... in our head when we hit record That's and weird. look at the TV and see REC. We know that it's recording. Oh, that movie was so much better than Quarantine too. Oh my god, it was. It was a lot. Spanish and everything. That was so good. Okay, okay. Uh, this is a good one. Jason Voorhees doesn't always wear the famous hockey mask. He wore a potato sack, and he wasn't in front of the 13th one at all. So, uh, which movie did the hockey mask first appear? Dismay. Part 1, Part 2, Friday the 13th, A New Beginning, or Part 3? Um, Part 3. Okay. Go pocket. Part 3. Correcto Mundo. It was part three. I was not a fan of the potato sack. I don't <laughs> I like, like the potato sack. sack. We, we talked like about the sack? the sack on this podcast before. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the sack. We talk about the sack a lot on the show. Da- Damien Maffei likes the sack. <laughs> Headline. 
Damien Fay. He likes sorry. the he likes the sack mask. He said he'd be in it. Damien, if you were listening, I I am sorry for saying that. You like, Damien don't like the sack. <laughs> he does like the sack, but not that kind of sack. I was talking strictly potato sack, potato mask. Me, not so much. Oh, I know uh, you love the sack. Well, why not? Anyway, <coughs> uh, Wes Craven is most known for Nightmare on Elm Street, Scream. What was his directorial debut, Warner Pocket? The Exorcist, Hannibal Holocaust, I Spit on Your Grave, The Last House on the Left. Hannibal Holocaust? Oh, okay. Sounds like a Wes Craven movie. Which one was it? Um, Last House on the Left? Correct. Smay. Dismay down by one. I don't know if we have enough left. Dismay would have to have a clean sweep right here. Uh oh. Uh oh. Alright, clean, clean, ah. clean sweeps are not. They're not on this podcast. That that hasn't happened. You got a clean I don't think anybody's there. clean. Yeah, that's true. My hiding's nice and clean. I'm doomed. Um, okay, what are the killers wearing in the film You're Next? Okay, choice one. Uh, ski masks, uh, animal masks, <laughs> sacks, <laughs> jumpsuits, or clown outfits. Dismay. Animal masks. Okay, corner pocket. Animal masks, are you kidding? Ah, he, oh, you guys got it, okay. So hey, iconic. Corner pocket. Remains up by one. Okay. The visit. Mark the return. For what director? M. Night Shyamalan. Sean Cunningham, Troop Hooper, or Wes Craven? <laughs> Quarter pocket. M. Night Shyamalan. Okay, dismay. Yeah, that was an easy one. I'm not Shyamalan. Hey. That was very okay. easy. Okay. I saw that opening weekend in theaters. That okay. was a trip. It was some freaking experience. So, dismay loses by a nut. Um, Alright, so, yeah, I think uh, I think that was it. That was fun. I'm glad dismay lost. I'm sh- I, I'm proud that I won. I'm sh- very very proud of myself.
Uh, well, all right, guys, you can catch us on Twitter. Uh, I'm my, at Mikey's Dead. That's right, Ooh, at Mikey's like Dead. That. Yeah, like yeah. No more Z's. No more foe. No more foe Z's. Dismay, where can they find you? Not that anyone wants to. <laughs> what? <laughs> you can find me the best Twitter um, at Dismay zero zero. That's debatable. The best Twitter. That's debatable. <laughs> Better than Mikey's dead. Oh, or Mikey yeah, but Bones. better than Mikey Bones for sure. Because at dismay ballsack, because that's kind of what the two zeros. <laughs> yeah. That's way fucking better. You can find the podcast at Slasher Radio, and you can find me at Mike Mirando. You can catch the owl too. We he's not here for this one. He uh, has some time restraints thrown at him, so he's bouncing around a little bit for now. But uh, he's at Bobby Spitzer with two R's and Bobby Spitzer with two cheeks. I like the two cheeks, man. I don't like nothing else. It's like a, nothing else. I, just, I, I like two cheeks. Say it with me. Two cheeks. I don't like those two cheeks. No. But um, you can listen to us at slasherradio.com. Uh, you can listen to us on iTunes. You can listen to us on uh, on Stitcher. And um, yeah, so check us out. Subscribe to us. Rate us, review us, you know, help us out. Help us out. And uh, I think that's it. So, good night from Slasher Radio. Fuck me. Hold on. Ow. My house alarm is going off. Hang on. Are are you getting robbed? (laughs) Are you here, Miranda? I'm here. Oh, shit. That was crazy. This might be something here. Everybody's up now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm so glad to be in my own house, but I'm I'm a little spooked now. This is, this is some shit. This is a real scary movie here. Oh my god, when, when that camera turned off, oh. See him get dragged. I'm like, I'm gonna, where's my phone? I'm gonna, oh my god. <laughs> We're gonna see him get dragged across. Right, if, the... if nothing happens in like three minutes, I'm calling Bones. I'm sorry, you were breaking up. Can you repeat that? <laughs> Are you all right? Yeah, everything's fine. Somebody opened the door. Okay, thank God. We thought some shit was happening. Yes, it is. <laughs> um. Ah, oh crap. What was my password? Um. Oh, uh, Okay. Okay, thank you. Bones is good. Bye. Imagine if we live-streamed Slasher Radio. A hundred people could have just shit their pants right now. That would have been pretty fucking badass. (laughs)
That has to stay somewhere. I can't believe we've been doing this podcast for six months or so, and we haven't had a scary movie moment until just now. I was just having I was like, fuck. I had to run downstairs. <laughs> I'm in my drawers. Like, fuck. Thought somebody was banging on the door. Someone was trying to break in. Uh, okay. Uh, where the hell was I? Corner Pocket tried to take me behind the bar, and I told him, no. What's the matter with you? You you bought me food without even asking me what I wanted. I bought a meat sticks. You just dropped hot dogs in front of my face. True or false, I dropped meat sticks right in front of you. You dropped two meat sticks in front of my face. With ranch and some other shit. Those are some bomb-ass meat And I would have never ordered that shit. But that shit was bombing, wasn't it? It was was pretty bombing. I seen this, I said, oh, I got something for him. I got something. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.